we're going to look at Mark chapter 13, and we're going to do the whole chapter. And I'm not going to read it for you, so yay, thank you. But I'm going to invite Mike and Jess up to do the reading for us this morning. Let's welcome them. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world. Until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he had chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform sign and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Everyone just take a deep breath. <laughs> Exhale. So, <clears throat> the end of the world, hey? Yeah. Just light reading for post hashtag Adelaide Storm. <laughs> wars and rumours of wars. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be good. I'm excited. <clears throat> so, I'm just going to pray before we go any further. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here this morning. Thank you that where I'm weak, you are strong. Thank you that your word will go out this morning and accomplish what it's set forth to do. It will not return void. Thank you for this amazing group of people here on a holiday weekend ready to receive your word. We pray it sits in our hearts and transforms us. Amen. So just ask for a little extra dose of grace this morning. I know you're usually an amazing crowd just to withstand my voice. But the title of today's message is, slide please, Jesus Christ and the Temple of Doom. Just a little indulgence there. I'm a big John Williams fan. Uh, love that music. But uh, this was actually one of the um, titles in, in some of the background reading I did for this passage. One of the commentaries actually called it Jesus in the Temple of Doom. I couldn't resist the, um, the pop culture reference, even though it might be about 30 years old. Um, it's 80s, was it? Indiana Jones? Yes. Barry was there. He, he's nodding. <laughs> <laughs> So, the whole chapter, um, we're going to do a word study, word by word this morning, just going to unpack it sentence by sentence. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not being serious, it's um, a bit of uh, lost voice sarcasm, just in case you're wondering. But three main things this morning. So what is Jesus saying in this passage to the disciples and what can we learn from it? How is it relevant for us today? The first thing is Jesus is predicting the end of temple-centered Judaism and faith. So in verse 2, he says, do you see all these great buildings after the disciples bring up? Look, look at this amazing stuff. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. 
Now, this actually happened in the year AD 70. <clears throat> the Jewish war, the Romans and the Jews clashed, and they took down, they tore down the temple. So this was a prophecy 40 years in advance and spoke of a specific situation. It's not a metaphorical uh, analogy. It literally happened. The temple was destroyed and was never built to the, the same that it is, that it was. But up until this point, Jesus has been talking about, um, uh, alluding to this change in faith since, since Mark 11. So we've been working through the book of Mark this year. In the last month or so, month or two, we've been working through Mark 11 and 12. We start off in Mark 11, Jesus coming to Jerusalem as a king on a donkey. Kind of things are changing up a little bit. Then he curses the fig tree, which is a picture of pending judgment on the Jews. And he's clearing the temple courts. He says, you've made my house a den of robbers. And he clears out the temple courts. He's changing the situation. He's changing the guard. He's changing our Jews. He's changing the, the whole, their whole life <clears throat> where everything is centered around. Mark 12, it goes on and talks about Jesus' rejection by the Jewish leaders, but becoming the cornerstone in spite of them. The stone that you, they have rejected will become the cornerstone. Mark 12 is warning against the teachers of the law. The teachers that are telling people how to live life and how to connect with God. and He's warning against them. And then at the end of Mark 12, the widow's offering that Brendan talked about in the offering last week. It's not about what is public and is seen. There was pomp and there were people writing out their big checks and they're bringing in their big FBOS receipts, putting in the biggest wad of cash they could so everybody could see it but it's a matter of the heart the widow that gave the two small coins that wouldn't equate to a bit of bread hers was considered worth more than what everybody else was bringing in so it's a change of the circumstances a change of how the Jews are thinking about how they do life and do faith and for us it's important to know what that means for us now <clears throat> is the Jews what it meant for them having temple-centered faith is they only had one location they could go to, which was the temple. One person, one time a year, would enter the presence of God, the head priest. He would go behind the curtain. We've got big curtains here. This curtain was like a foot thick, I think. Uh, it's been a while since I researched curtains. But it was like a, a foot thick. But when Jesus died on the cross, the, there was earthquake that curtain split in two, which represented God's presence going out to everybody and being available for everybody, not just for this one person one time a year. So now anybody can meet with God anywhere. And the kids sound like they need a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> so they're doing a great job out there. Who knows why they're squealing. So with the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the, the curtain split, after Jesus left the earth, the, the curtain splitting was symbolic and then when we had Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and was available for everybody. That's why when we turn up to church, we can feel his presence. But it's not just at church we can feel his presence. We can feel it when we're at home. We can feel it when we are praying for somebody at work, when we're walking down the street, when we are having quiet time. You and me, people that are not 
ordained ministers who are the chief priests, the one person in the whole world. Everybody can access the presence of God and can experience the whole of relationship with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is predicting the end of this temple center of faith, all about this geography and it's being available to everybody. Second thing he's saying is beware of deception. In verse 5, Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. What Jesus is talking about here is false prophets and teachers. And very much a bulk of this chapter, he's talking about what will happen leading up to, they didn't know at the time, but up to the year AD 70 where the temple uh, was demolished in the war. There were false prophets and teachers coming up at this time. There were other things happening. The bulk of this passage is talking about that period of time, that 40 years. But there are things in it that apply for us today as well. And I've got some great examples of some uh, false prophets uh, in, in my next point, which is, and the main point for this morning is be, be ready for Jesus' return. Now, this isn't one of those times where you hear about <clears throat> where I'm about to announce when Jesus is coming back. And we're going to get ready. We're going to buy tickets to be on the spaceship because we need to be ready for when that time comes. In verse 4, the disciples asked, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Might notice, or notice now, so that's in verse 4. Jesus does not answer that question until verse 32, right near the end. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus has just spent 32 minus 4, 28 verses talking about what will happen, not when. The disciples really wanted to know when, but Jesus is saying what. Okay, that's, that's great. There, there's a couple of points in this. Is if, if I or anybody was to stand here, you meet anybody in the street, meet anybody in any other church, anybody online, on YouTube, on a blog that says they know when Jesus is coming back. They are wrong. Because Jesus didn't even know. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who died on the cross for our sins, did not even know when he was going to come back a second time. Only God knew. So if Jesus didn't know, why would somebody on YouTube know? Why would somebody with their own TV show know? Why would a blogger know? Why would some random monk in some kind of hill somewhere or it's kind of tucked away or even just a pastor of a regular church down the street? Why would they know? Why would they have the secret access to this information that nobody else does? It's very black and white. If somebody was to say that sort of thing, you could call them a false prophet straight away. It's very black and white. If Jesus didn't know, he says, no one knows except the Father. And that's very easy to tell. 
There are other things in Christianity which might be kind of a bit of interpretations or lifestyle stuff. You know, somebody's this way on an issue and that way. Like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really sit with me. But somebody says they know when Jesus is coming back again, uh, they're wrong. It's black or white, it's yes or no, right or wrong. Now, I found a record of 242 failed dates for the return of Jesus. And I'm going to read each of them to you. Just kidding. Actually, I've picked out a top 10. I love a good top 10 from late night television. Um, I don't have any background music for this one. But uh, to ease your ears, I'm going to invite Carmen up to uh, read this for us. So these are the top 10 doomsday predictions that never happened. Okay. Number 10. 2012 Mayan Apocalypse. So, December 21, 2012 marked the end of the first great cycle of the Mayan long count calendar. Many misinterpreted this to mean an absolute end to the calendar, which tracked time continuously from a date some 5,125 years earlier, and doomsday predictions emerged. End of the world scenarios included. Uh, Earth colliding with an imaginary planet called Nibiru, giant solar flares, a planetary alignment that would cause massive tidal catastrophes and a realignment of Earth's axis. Preparations for the end of the world as we know it included a modern day Noah's Ark built by a man in China and extensive sales of survival kits. I think there's been one person who's built an ark. <laughs> Harold Camping. Among the most prolific modern predictors of end times, this is number nine, Harold Camping has publicly predicted the end of the world as many as 12 times based on his interpretations of Bible, Bible, sorry, biblical numerology. In 1992, he published a book ominously titled 1994, question mark, which predicted the end of the world sometime around that year. Hmm. Perhaps his most high-profile prediction was for May 21, 2011, a date that he calculated to be exactly 7,000 years after the biblical flood. When that date passed without incident, he declared his math to be off and pushed back the end of the world to October 21, 2011. Still wrong? Oh, well. Number eight, true way. Taiwanese religious leader Hon Ming Chen established Chen Tao or True Way, a religious movement that blended elements of Christianity, Buddhism, UFO conspiracy theories and Taiwanese folk religion. Chen preached that God would appear on US television, Channel 18, on March 25, 1988 to announce that he would descend to earth the following week in a physical form identical to Chen. I'm glad that didn't happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. The following year, he prophesied millions of, of devil spirits together with massive flooding would result in a mass extinction of the human population. Followers could be spared by buying their way aboard spaceships disguised as clouds sent to rescue them. Sounds like my three-year-old making up stories. <laughs> Halley's Comet panic. So Halley's Comet passes by the Earth approximately every 76 years. But the nearness of its approach in 1910 created fear that it would destroy the planet 
either by celestial collision or through the poisonous gases it was rumoured to contain. Rumours. A worldwide panic ensued, stoked by the media and such newspaper headlines as Comet may kill all Earth life, says scientist. A group in Oklahoma tried to sacrifice a virgin to ward off impending doom. And bottled air became a hot commodity. The Earth probably did pass through part of the comet's tail, but with no apparent effect. Number six, Millerism. The Granger Collection, New York, New York here, that's where it comes from, sorry. Religious leader William Miller began preaching in 1831 that the end of the world as we know it would occur with the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1843. He attracted as many as 100,000 followers who believed that they would be carried off to heaven when the date arrived. When the 1843 prediction failed to materialise, Miller recalculated and determined that the world would actually end in 1844. Follower Henry Emmons wrote, I waited all Tuesday and dear Jesus did not come. I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. Number five, Joanna Southcott. Beginning when she was 42 years old, Joanna Southcott reported hearing voices that predicted future events, including the crop failures and famines of 1799 and 1800. She began publishing her own books and eventually developed a following of as many as 100,000 believers. In 1813, she announced that in the following year she would give birth to the second Messiah, whose arrival would signal the last days of the earth. Despite being 64 years old, as she told her doctors, a virgin. She died before a baby could be born. This is my favourite. Number four, the prophet hen of Leeds. In 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great numbers of people reportedly, reportedly not just adding, yeah, visited the hen and began to despair of the coming judgment day. It was soon discovered, however, that the eggs were not in fact prophetic messages but the work of their owner who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink and reinserting them into the poor hen's body. Oh, that's a bit disturbing. The Great Fire of London. Because the Bible calls 666 the number of the beast, many Christians in 17th century Europe feared the end of the world in the year 1666. The Great Fire of London, which lasted from September 2 to September 5 of that year, destroyed much of the city, including 87 church parishes and about 13,000 houses. Many saw it as a fulfilment of the end of the world prophecy. Given such a large amount of property damage, though, the death toll of the fire was remarkably low, reportedly only 10 people, not quite the end of the world. Number two, the Great Flood. Johann Stoffler, uh, respected, I just had to do that, respected German mathematician and astrologer, predicted that a great flood would cover the world on February 25, 1524, when all of the known planets would be in alignment under Pisces, a water sign. Hundreds of pamphlets announcing the coming flood were issued and set in motion a general panic. Count von Igelheim, a German noblewoman, said, went so far as to build a three-storey arc. Though there was light rain on the day of the predicted flood, no actual flooding materialised. Number one on the list, Montanism. 
Montanism, a second century schematic movement of Christianity, began in um, Turkey based on the visions of Montanus, who claimed to speak under the influence of the Spirit, Montanus believed the second coming of Christ to be imminent. Many Christian communities were almost abandoned when believers left their homes and migrated to a plain between the two villages of Papusa and Timian in Turkey, where Montanus claimed the heavenly Jerusalem would descend to earth. So, before I go any further, I've just got a, a video to have a look at talking about one of those situations. Can we roll that video, please? At first glance, it looks like another convention at a suburban hotel. But this crowd of more than 300 is hoping they are no longer on this earth come May 21st. It's bewildering, I know. It's unfathomable, but it is. This group is convinced that is the beginning of the end of the world. There'll be a worldwide earthquake such as man has never seen. Destruction and death everywhere. Why May 21st? Believers say that's the rapture, exactly 7,000 years since the flood in the biblical story of Noah's Ark. We're at a point now where we are so certain that this will happen that we are ready to, you know, you know, travel 18 hours, leave our jobs, whatever. It doesn't, we know. High school health education teacher Sandy Klein is crying because, she says, the end of the world means her daughters won't be able to have children of their own. And it's like you have no control over anything. It's all in the Lord's hands. The group believes that everyone who is saved will be taken into heaven May 21st. There's going to be 200 million people saved. While everyone left on earth will die over the next five months until the world is consumed by a fireball on October 21st. Almost everyone at this convention learned about May 21st from this man, Harold Camping. When they shall see the smoke of her burning. For decades, his low, monotone voice has been a staple on cable access channels and Christian radio broadcasts across the country and the world. He broadcasts from this television studio in Oakland, California, preaching over the airways and now the Internet since the 1950s. We don't rule over them at all. We're not a cult or anything like that. Camping used to be a civil engineer. He's now 89 years old. I looked at all the scientific data I could find, like carbon-14 dating or potassium-argon dating. He is not even willing to entertain the notion that the sun may rise on May 21st without worldwide destruction. There's just no reason in the world, no possibility that it will not happen. This isn't the first time Camping said the end of the world was imminent. The first time was in 1994, but at that time he insists he always put a question mark at the end of the prediction. I'm not embarrassed about it, it's just the fact that it was, it was uh, premature. This time he says he's sure. Ted Shaffrey, Associated Press, Claymont, Delaware. It's kind of funny, but I actually feel really sad for these people. <clears throat> like it's um, they probably love Jesus earnestly, and then hear this teaching, you get hooked onto it, and it's and we see them on a video like that, and all I can say is, if you don't want to be on a video like that, just know that nobody knows the date that Jesus is coming back, and that's one surefire way to not be on YouTube, <laughs> and for that reason. 
See, yeah, Jesus tells us that not even he knew when he was coming back. So what would be the point in trying to guess? This guy, so he went for May 21st, 2011, which if you haven't done the maths, we're past that date and it didn't happen. Uh, then May 22nd came around, nothing happened. He goes, oh, I got my maths wrong. It's October uh, 21st and still nothing happened. Then after that point, he said, well, the Bible's kind of complex and um, I can't understand all of it. And so that was sort of his, his answer in the end. And I mean, we could pick apart any of them. It's just, uh, I tried to find a video that wasn't kind of like one way or the other, just kind of gave some of the information of the situation. Just so you can understand, these people giving up their jobs. I remember at the time reading about somebody that sold up their house, bought a camper and was like driving around the States with pamphlets and because and, they so believed that the end of the world was coming. Like if you believe the end of the world's coming next week or next year, why would you own a house? Why would you have a job? Why would you be diligent in what you're doing and, and try – life would just be chaos. I mean, who's seen Deep Impact or Armageddon? You know, uh, 2012, you know, we spoke of the Mayan one. I love disaster movies. You know, you've got the heroes and the heroines and, you know, there's like, can they stop nature and all this stuff going on? And, and when they know the end of the world's coming, it's like chaos and anarchy and there's, there's rioting and people go and steal TVs and like go into the shops and ransack the place. And it's every man for himself getting all the food and drink and there's traffic jams and people doing all sorts of things. Be complete chaos if we knew when the end of the world was coming. Maybe that's a pretty good reason why Jesus never announced it because everything would kind of grind. Nobody would be going into business and doing innovation or nobody would be studying to have a career. Everybody would be just kind of holding their own little fort, protecting themselves and, and kind of hoarding everything that they could. Jesus says that there will be wars and rumours of wars. Now, at first reading, you might think we're close to Jesus' second coming. I've got a map to have a look at, which are wars of ongoing, uh, a map of ongoing conflicts in 2016. Uh, I'll let you do more of the reading than me, the talking, but the darker the colour, the worse the war. So wherever there's colour, there's ongoing conflicts in the world. This is now. So it's very easy to look at this passage and say, in the end, there's going to be wars and rumours of wars and look how bad the world is. So Jesus must be coming close. Well, I'm pretty sure people thought that during World War I, World War II. There's great wars with millions dying and there's great loss of death, uh, great loss of life at the moment. Uh, happening but Jesus was talking about this period of time before the temple was to be uh, overthrown and and demolished he says in verse 7 when you hear of wars and rumors of wars do not be alarmed such things must happen but the end is still to come saying it's not the end it's just this happens in every generation it happened during Jesus time it happened well before Jesus time it happened during uh, Abraham and King David and all, all through the history. And it's happened since. It's happened, um, <clears throat> you know, during the Dark Ages. It happened in the 
1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, there's wars and rumors of wars. Doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. He also says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. So he's saying the end is still to come, but not immediately pending. And he was telling this to the disciples, yet here we are 2,000 years later. He was mostly talking about what was happening around the temple, but often prophecy can have two applications or two, two meanings. So the principles of it do, do apply. It just doesn't mean that the end of the world is right now. A lot of, there was a lot of stuff people were believing even like around the year 2000, just because it was this nice number that the end of the world might happen. You know, Y2K and all this other stuff might go on. Jesus' second coming, the part that definitely applies to us and wasn't just for that time, is in verse 24. But in those days following that distress, so this is following the wars and the rumours of the wars and the earthquakes and the nation rising against nation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That is consistent and that's quoted from Jewish um, kind of end times literature. And it means it's symbolic and consistent with kind of end times. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. This is what we will see, or a generation will see. At that time, the people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great power and glory. Okay. So you're saying, well, that's great. I've learned about how not to predict the end of the world because I can't. And Jesus is going to come in clouds of glory. But what does that actually mean for us today? What, what can I take away from that? The question we should ask ourselves is, are we ready personally for Jesus' return? Because while I'm going to contradict myself and say, just because there's wars and rumours of wars does not mean Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But at the same time, it doesn't mean he's not. Because nobody knows. So just because it could be like a, a thousand years away, it's just as likely to happen tonight. You know, when the next storm front comes through. You know, that, 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 it could, could be that. Probably not, just purely based off mathematics, okay? I'm not a heretic. I'm not a false prophet here. Just saying, mathematically, 2,000 years have passed, so we're very likely to get at least one more day. Verse 34, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. The man going away is Jesus. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. Servants are us. Each with their assigned task. Interesting. And tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house, Jesus, will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, 
watch. So the point of all of this is not to focus on the signs of Jesus coming back. Just because there's the wars and the rumours of wars and the earthquakes, and I can tell you about earthquakes. I was in Christchurch. I know what earthquakes can do. Nation rising against nation. We've all got 24-hour news channels these days. We know about all of these conflicts. And there were even many on the map and doing the research. There's ones I've never even heard of as well. There's just so many conflicts going on. It's not to focus on the signs to say Jesus is coming back. It's to focus on Jesus when he comes back. We personally need to be ready and waiting. And, and a, a quote from one of the, um, the commentaries, a major function of this discourse then is not to encourage eschatological forecasting, which is end times. It's not to encourage end times forecasting but rather to encourage watchfulness and diligence in Christian life and witness. So, how can we be ready? First thing is to be serving. In the, in the passage, it said, each with their assigned task. Jesus has given us gifts. He's given us a place to use them. Church, it's, it's serving, it's being part of the community. We don't just exist in this kind of, I went won't do anything, don't operate, don't, don't talk to anybody. I'm just kind of like this individual not connected anywhere. He says we've all got to sign tasks. Now, it doesn't mean he said, right, you're going to be on that roster this time. It just means we have gifts and abilities to connect in and to serve because we are all servants. And interestingly, only one person was assigned at the door to keep watch. We're not all assigned to go, oh, oh, do you see that on the news? You know, that this thing happened over in Africa or over in Europe. Ah, it must be Jesus coming back tomorrow. No, no, he's saying, just get on with it. You've all got to assign tasks. They're like, don't don't worry about that stuff. What what's in front of you? What can you do right now? Second thing he says is be awake. If he comes suddenly. Do not let him find you sleeping. Ouch. There's other um, passages where <clears throat> there's, I think, the, the virgins and the lanterns, uh, other um, parable where it also talks about not getting caught asleep because Jesus will return and we don't know when. So don't be, get, don't be caught sleeping. So the challenge for us this morning and the thing to take away is what, what is our assigned task? Where are we serving? Where, what are we doing? It's, it's all great. And, you know, in a perfect world, I wouldn't really normally preach from this passage. I, I like to preach from parables and stories. But there's, we need to know about this stuff because people do talk about it. There's a whole book in the Bible about this stuff, Revelation. If that's the first book you read in the Bible... Maybe you go back to like Mark or John. <clears throat> Revelation is a pretty strange place to start reading the Bible. But how to be ready when Jesus comes back? Because he is coming back. We don't know when, but we need to be serving with our assigned task. We need to be awake and ready. Being awake and ready is having an active prayer life, being active and reading the word, being able to recognize when Jesus comes back. 
because we have relationship with him. So we need to be serving and be awake because Jesus could return at any time. So my question for us this morning, hopefully you found some interesting stuff. You might not have known about doomsday stuff and the end of the world and that might have been interesting for you. Kind of try to change it up with some video and make things interesting. But are you ready? Am I ready? Yeah, every time I preach, I have to like, consider my heart and say, am, am I ready? Am I ready to preach? Am I in a position where if Jesus came back, that I feel like I'm good in my heart, that if Jesus came back, I would be going to heaven with him because maybe I die first before Jesus comes back. Maybe Jesus comes back before I die. That'd be my preference, just quietly. But none of us knows when our time is up. None of us knows when we're going to die. It sounds pretty morbid, but you know, we're dealing with wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and the end of the world. So, you know, we're dealing with morbid things. But Jesus offers an alter- a way out. Because the end of the world is coming. You know, they say there's two, two things in life that are certain death and taxes. Except if Jesus comes back, there won't be death for us if we know Jesus. So the question is, is it if Jesus returned today or tonight, would you be able to say you were in relationship with him, had asked for forgiveness of sins, and were assured in your spirit that you would go to heaven to be with him? Could you say that in all honesty? Lift your hand this morning. It's nice and high. Love to pray.
just ask you these two questions. So aside from all the all the doomsday stuff and the end of the world, it's like a man going away, he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. <coughs> Tells the one at the door to keep watch. What's your assigned task? This morning, this year. What do you have in your hand? What gifts do you have? Where are you serving? Are you serving a church? Are you serving in your community? Or are you just kind of sitting idle? Life's just going by and you're just kind of by yourself, you bounce around. Thank you. 
husky voice. That's a really incredibly difficult passage of Scripture to unpackage. And I think we should all give Nathan a hand this morning. That was incredible. Thank you. What great practical application. I know when I first read that read that piece of Scripture, I was confused. And, and now I'm not at all. So thank you. Now, this week, as I said, mentioned in notices, it is Connect Group Week. If you're not in a Connect Group, please talk to someone around you. They'll know um, and talk to your Connect Group leader and just confirm when and where your Connect Group is this week. If you've got kids, and I'm talking to myself, to pick them up at 10 to 12. And uh, if you want prayer for anything at all, Mike and Jess will be up the front here after the service. So please come, come to them with your prayer requests and they would love to pray with you. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week. It'll be warm and dry, hopefully. Have a fantastic week. 